Welcome to Future Proof, the marketing podcast from Kantar and Said Business School, University of Oxford. In each episode, we speak to industry experts about the changing landscape of marketing, sharing evidence and inspiration for the future. I'm Jane Osler, Global Head of Media, Insights Division of Kantar. I'm Felipe Tomas, Professor of Marketing at Said Business School. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I'm delighted to say that our guest today is Karen Spencer, who is Global Chief Marketing Officer of Whaler, which is an influencer agency. And I guess, first of all, Karen, if you explain what Whaler actually does, managing talent and connecting them with brands, what, what does that actually mean? Yes. Hi, Jane. Thanks so much for having me. Whaler is a global tech-powered influencer agency. A third of our staff are engineers, which is rare for a company like ours. And the work that we do for clients is executed on a platform that they built. And that allows us to see things like social media metrics and performance so that all of the decisions we make can be data-driven. We represent both talent and brands, and our mission statement is to liberate the creative voice. And what that means to us is that we've seen the campaigns we work on perform best when they come from a place of authentic human creativity. So rather than forcing a marketing message, we ask people to simply share stories, personal narratives told through the lens of the creative person that they are about why a certain product has impacted their lives. Okay, so let's move on to what Whaler is doing and, and what you've been up to recently. There's a, there's a couple of things that I thought were interesting background for this discussion. One is that we know that TikTok is a highly popular platform for advertising amongst its users. They like it because it's fun and it's entertaining and it's innovative. We also know from another piece of research we did that, and this is a US stat, that only 27% of people think that companies are doing a good job representing them and communicating with people of their own race and ethnicity. So on that note, I think it's really good if you start talking to us about your new venture, which is called The Crib Around the Corner. What is it and how did it all start? Well, when George Floyd was murdered in the US last year, it was a necessary moment for our country to take a hard look at themselves and make commitments to be more vocal and more responsible about changing systemic racism, to stand against oppression and stand for inclusion and equality. 
Whaler audited both the representation in our staff at every level and the diversity in our campaign casting going back two years. And we were encouraged to confirm that we over-index as compared to the U.S. Census in almost every area. But we wanted to demonstrate our commitments further. So we began first with an initiative that we work on pro bono called Blacklight. And this is a partnership with Afropunk, the fantastically artistic global concert series that's obviously been challenged by the pandemic and Fresh Tape Media. And Blacklight asks brands to contribute to a fund used to pay Black creatives to tell their stories, any story they want to, and have them distributed by the large Afropunk network to broaden the pipeline for discoverable Black talent. And our most recent project, as you just mentioned, is called The Crib Around the Corner. And this is the first house specifically for Black digital creators in Los Angeles. You guys might be more familiar with the term TikTok house. And that's sort of what this is. The cast has more than 20 million followers on TikTok alone. But these creators actually post on every social media platform. And we worked with a company called 13th to identify seven young Black creators who we now manage and connect to large-scale brand deals, and we pay them equitably and above market rate. What we often see with Black influencers in the industry is that their ideas and content drive culture, but often their compensation and level of credit isn't comparable to white creators. The Renegade is a great example of that. You can read Taylor Lorenz's article for the New York Times about it. A young Black dancer named Jalea Harmon created The Renegade, which was a dance that blew up on TikTok, and Charlie D'Amelio and Addison Rae and others were rewarded with fame and fortune when they brought it to the masses. So with the progression that we saw in 2020 with the Black Lives Matter movement, we've got to remember we started that year with many brands feeling hesitant to even say the phrase Black Lives Matter. And now we're in a place where unless you're a brand aligned with Trump and QAnon, But if you're not one of those brands, you're not only saying Black Lives Matter now, but what we hope you're doing as a brand is looking for ways to demonstrate that you believe that, that you're evolving your core beliefs and your budgets to support traditionally marginalized groups of all kinds. And the bottom line, what I'd really like to impress on brands who are always keeping an eye on their profitability, like you said with that statistic, Yes, there's absolutely a moral imperative to run your business aligned with anti-racist values. It's high time and overdue. But there's also a major business opportunity that's been largely untapped until now to speak to individual groups personally. The old school formula of marketing to the masses and making maybe one quote unquote minority commercial a year that doesn't reach into niche communities and speak directly and authentically to them. When you don't make those connections with a lot of different communities, you're leaving money on the table. And that's what we're aiming to prove with the crib around the corner, that when you as a brand empower a group of young black talent to do what they know how to do so well, connect with their audience then your brand will see a natural, unforced lift with that demo. And Karen, I just wanted to pick real quick on this site tangent conversation here or aspect of the conversation around TikTok itself. Now, I'll have to come clean and I guess go on record that Jane is actually the person that got me to sign up for TikTok and join the platform and spend the rest of the night going through TikTok. So she's the one to blame. (laughs) 
But the role of that network and that system is important, right? So we know TikTok has been growing tremendously, even from research with Kantar and research done in Oxford with my group, that the brand voice is important to match the environment where it exists, right? So if you're on TikTok, you have to fit within TikTok. Right. And exist. And much to how you said, like that comes from an honest place, right? Uh, it, it's, it reinforces that idea. And it's coming in contrast with the social issues and many concerns that you've just described that brands are fighting with and against. And then TikTok itself as a platform has a role to play in that environment. And we know the tech companies have been attacked from left to right on their ability to move conversation and so on. And they're interacting with the creators in that way. So from your perspective of existing in this confluence of platforms, brands, and creators, how do you see then the platform contributing or not to that voice and that openness and their ability to manage the health of the environment? Well, we've seen all social media platforms experience a rapid growth during the pandemic as everyone's been locked down and had more time on their hands. And TikTok's growth, I think, has been remarkable for a few different reasons. One, their mission statement is to inspire creativity and bring joy to their users, which is something that I think we've all desperately needed an infusion of throughout the COVID crisis. But also their algorithm, you mentioned downloading it and spending a lot of time on it. I think that we're seeing not only, I think the last report I saw was that the average TikTok user opens the app 17 times a day, but they're also spending something like 90 minutes a day on the app. And that time devoted to the platform is larger, I think, than the rest of the competition at this point. And I think that part of it is that mission statement, that when you ask yourself, how you feel after watching TikTok. You probably have seen something that inspires you. You've seen something that makes you laugh, that makes you feel connected to others, that feels really creative. I know I get a ton of DIY projects in my feed or cooking tutorials. So it's really short form education in some instances. And all of that type of content is what I think the ecosystem has wanted and needed during this time of lockdown. And the algorithm that TikTok is serving to all of us is the most fine-tuned algorithm that we've seen thus far on social media. I think the debate about the health of competition and the health of platforms and social media is certainly one that is valid and something that we all need to keep top of mind. You know, I keep getting these depressing reports weekly from my phone that I have not asked them to give me that uh, I've spent, you know, an average of seven hours a day on my phone or something like that. So definitely want to keep all of that top of mind as it relates relates to your family and your family's mental health in general, I think we've all got to force ourselves to get off the internet and get outside more often. But especially in times of lockdown, the masses have needed something to focus on. And I think social media and in particular TikTok with their love for entertainment and joyous entertainment has really provided a lot of us the distraction that we needed. So I was looking into content that one of the creators you're working with, Everett Noble, is producing, and he seems to be a bit of a polymath. He does everything. He writes, produces his own content, edits it himself. He produces mini stories and films, and they're really humorous and very engaging. What is his ambition on TikTok, and does it go beyond there? 
Everett is a great example of a person who's using the internet to get his foot in the door to what he hopes is a career in Hollywood as a traditional actor. And it's fascinating to me that so many influencers and digital creators that we speak with have that as their ultimate goal, to be a traditional actor. Whereas we see traditional actors who came up through the world of film and TV and not on social media asking us, how can we create more native engagement on social media platforms? So we're in this really interesting evolution of traditional Hollywood creator, if you will. And Everett, if you look at his account on TikTok, it's E. VC Noble. He's someone who in just in the past couple of weeks has gained millions of followers. One of his videos has 45 million views now. That is the type of video that you're referencing. So he creates these stories, these short films, and then he acts out every different character in them. And there's always a little twist and they don't really make that much sense, but they're meant to surprise and delight you and kind of leave you wondering like, what was that that I just watched? And he is, I think, a really great example of why my head is always scratching a bit when Hollywood is not acknowledging that influencers are talented individuals. And I'm not sure if you guys have seen the, the most recent Nick Bilton documentary called Fake Famous, but I think it's so easy to make fun of influencers. And it's something that happens a lot in the media right now. But if we really take a critical look at what a lot of these creators are doing, Everett is a great example of one. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If Only in Theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. You know, a traditional Hollywood actor had a path that was forged for them a long time ago. They knew that in order to try and be successful in film and television, they would arrive in town, they would get some headshots, they would start auditioning, then they would be rewarded with a role. And their job was to hit their marks and say their lines. And of course, their focus was on their performance and how well they delivered that as an actor. But when we look at the support system that exists around those actors, they have a director, they have a wardrobe department, they have a makeup team, they have script supervisors, they have writers, they have all kinds of people who are coming together to support them in this creation of a traditional film or television show. Whereas digital creators like Everett, 
he came up with his script. He wrote it. He came up with the concepts. Then he decided how he would play each character. Then he chose the wardrobe and then he directed and filmed the episodes and he edits them as well. So the notion that influencers are often, you know, not doing anything or not talented is just simply not true. Everett is someone that because he is challenged with where to find the locations to shoot his short films, he stays up all night long and films them while everyone is asleep because that helps him keep the noise down and keep the traffic down where he's filming. This is how dedicated he is to furthering his career. And it's fascinating to watch someone like Everett come up with his concepts and then bring them to life. And it's really rewarding to see his videos get the 45 million views that they are. So how would a successful digital creator like Everett succeed within the confines of Hollywood? Wouldn't he find it perhaps rather restrictive? I think that is the question that we're seeing unfold currently. You know, there are very few people who came to fame online who have made a successful transitional career into Hollywood. We've seen Liza Koshy dabble with it. And the most successful series that she's been on is one that she was a producer and a writer on as well, because she, of course, built her audience with that understanding of what they were looking for and what they were responding to. So it wouldn't make sense to pluck her into a traditional TV show or film that she has no input in, because then she loses that authentic connection with her audience. But we have not seen a lot of performers that are actors, if you will, transition from social to Hollywood successfully. I think we're still in that period of evolution. We've seen it happen with some musicians, Justin Bieber, Shawn Mendes. I think music is one of those formats that brains are more naturally open to hearing anywhere. Um, Music feeds us emotionally in a different way than performance does. It's fascinating to think about how our brains accept seeing a particular creator online, but as soon as they're on television or film, it takes a minute for us to adjust to. And we've seen that with traditional Hollywood, you know, television stars trying to evolve to film and vice versa. So it's gotta it's gotta have something to do with the way that we are originally introduced to that creator. And there's an uncomfortability as they evolve into something else. There's a fascinating parallel here when we consider just like the the music industry not that long ago when it got upended when people had more direct access to music creators and then the industry itself that used to function as this selection mechanism that you would tell you who got the record deal and where you'd go to buy the record deal suddenly you can you know just go on social media and listen to whatever music you want and vote with your attention. And it's interesting to hear those like pseudo parallels then going to other sorts of creative endeavors where maybe Hollywood necessarily is not deciding who the the next person to get attention is, but there's this more open market for who is in, you know, the, the audience's mind. Absolutely. The internet has helped creators of all kinds democratize the way that they're able to distribute their content and connect with audiences. I would also earmark music in the internet in general. You know, I think of the internet as the Titanic and music is the ice cap (laughs) that the ship is headed towards because there is still not a solve 
around how music is shared and distributed via creator content on the internet. And you'll see sometimes when you're looking at a TikTok, for example, that clearly someone is dancing, but there's no music behind them. And that's because the promotional period of the music has expired and the music has been pulled from the platform. Really fascinating that there is not yet an overall solve for short bits of music to be coupled with creator content and shared broadly without permission online. Along those lines, though, imagining now that I'm a brand dealing with the management team and the support group behind this individual, this creator, and you've you've pointed and flagged a couple of different types of varieties, like a TikTok house, so there might be groups, somebody with more support, less support, different approaches to that back infrastructure. Is there anything from the brand side to be concerned with, with that differentiation, advantages, disadvantages to go from one to the other? Is it just a scale or preference? Does it matter at all? Well, I think at the heart of success with brand deals, what we're seeing at Whaler is the need to apply some science around what's going on here in general and why should brands work with influencers in general. We are the first company to test neurological reactions to influencer content on the brains of audiences. So we strapped respondents in uh, neurological readers. We exposed them to traditional television ads, we expose them to influencer ads, both to ads created by influencers that they were fans of already, which of course there was a huge priming effect there, but also to influencers that they had never seen before and were not familiar with. And what we saw in general was that the brains of humans light up when they are looking at influencer ads as compared to a traditional branded TV ad. I'm sure you guys have seen those that came up around the pandemic, like we here at this giant car company care about you in these difficult, unprecedented times. Like what, what does that really mean to me? Why do you, a giant car company care about me? And why are you spending millions of dollars to put an advertisement on television telling me this? My brain is not lighting up. My brain is not creating any connection between my experience and you, a giant corporate conglomerate. But yet when we're testing brains, looking at influencer ads, think about telling a story this way. Someone says, you know, I had just bought a car the month before the lockdown. I had no idea that I wouldn't need it for the next year. And so I called the car company that I bought this car from and I explained to them that I no longer needed their car and they allowed me to bring it back and they gave me a credit for next time. And that was a really amazing way that this company showed up for me in this unprecedented time. So now all of a sudden we've got a story and we're giving audiences an opportunity to ask themselves a lot of questions about that story. Do I relate to this guy? Am I judging this guy? Is he aspirational? Is he accessible? How do I feel about him? So this is the neurological response that we've seen to influencer content in general. They are registering 277% more emotionally intense and 87% more memorable influencer ads versus brand ads. So the basic philosophy here is that creativity drives emotion in the brain and emotion drives memory, memory drives recall, and recall drives sales. So when brands are asking themselves in general, like how can we insert ourselves into this influencer economy? Does it make sense for us to work with influencers? And, and how should we do that moving forward? That is exactly why we exist, to help you create a bespoke strategy to work with creators in a number of different ways to drive home that messaging that connects with your audience. 
We've also seen in some of our research that TikTok can drive very strong brand lift in terms of driving awareness, association and favorability in purchase intent across a whole load of different campaigns compared to our norms. And part of that is because the platform is fairly new. And part of that is because the platform at the moment is not very saturated with with lots of ads, but also because it's it's different. But I'm interested also in, in the sales aspect. What are you doing as an organization to integrate influencers into the e-commerce ecosystem? Well, the first thing that we talk to brands about when they start asking about how to drive sales on social media platforms is I really want to level set expectations because my question to them is, what is it about social media that makes you demand a hard ROI with every piece of content that you put up? Is it that it's within a computer. And so you really want to be able to track that full funnel experience from top to bottom. Is that where this expectation is coming from? Because when you think more broadly about your overall advertising budget, how are you really tracking sales from your television commercials? How are you tracking sales from your billboards, from your magazine and newspaper advertisements? You don't really know how many sales your $3 million television commercial is driving. So the first thing I do is make sure that there's not this expectation with every piece of social media content to drive every consumer through the funnel. Because, you know, a sign that I saw when social media was first emerging was the ROI of social media is that your company is still existing in five years. And I think that is a really important sentiment to remind brands that the relevancy and the brand association that you need to create on a daily basis with your social strategy is very important. Then we get into the funnel conversations and ask, how can can we move from you know, basic um, brand awareness and impressions all the way through to engagement and then click-throughs to either consider or to directly purchase? And I think with TikTok and nascent platforms, they're still working on all of these tools and ways to drive audiences through to the funnel. But we look at something like Instagram, they've really nailed it. You know, I mean, I just got some mascara in the mail yesterday that I must have bought in the (laughs) middle of the night scrolling sometime last week because it's so easy to purchase on Instagram now. It is literally a swipe up and one click with your PayPal and the product is on its way to your house. So creators are also understanding this and knowing that sometimes when they have dreams that they want to accomplish and they can't find the right brand to partner with for a limited edition product collaboration or something like that, they're just going off and building it themselves. You know, I think David Dobrik is a great example of a creator who has driven a ton of e-commerce and built apps and gone far beyond the traditional merch offering that creators are offering their audiences. And in the general Hollywood conversation as well, you know, David is someone who has regularly met with networks and studios for the last three years and pitched himself as a late night talk show host. And the networks have been hesitant to pull the trigger. So yesterday he announced that he's just going to do it himself. And he's turning his podcast into a YouTube show where people can come and watch him talk to his guests. And I'm willing to bet that a year from now, every network is going to be kicking themselves when they see the kind of numbers that he's driving that they didn't give him a traditional television deal. There's another undercurrent to this that I personally find fascinating. 
which is maintaining, let's call it like the health of this environment when you inject the sales, the direct response component on top of it. When we initially said that the authenticity of the environment is one of the things that drives it, its effectiveness so well. Now, I can imagine that that's top of mind for a lot of creators on how you balance being authentic, but also commercial and commercially successful. But then the brands also have a role to play in that exchange and maintenance of the different types of content and overall balance. What are your thoughts on maintaining kind of a, a healthy balance between these two things? And do we go too far one way or another sometimes? I want to believe that audiences on the internet are savvy enough to sniff out a fake collaboration meant to drive sales, but doing it inauthentically. You know, I think there was in the kind of beginning of the influencer economy, a period where somebody like Kim Kardashian was saying that she loves Goodyear tires. And we saw that that wasn't really working for audiences because they knew that she had no business selling anyone tires. And it does feel like we've reached a bit of an evolution in the influencer economy, at least with influencer agencies and companies who are doing it right, we want to be sure that the product we are asking the influencer to talk to their audiences about is one that they believe in and use on a regular basis. And that's how we start our product integrations at Whaler. We put the question out to our the 8,000 creators that we normally work with and we say, hey, we've got an opportunity with X, Y, and Z. Can you all let us know if you are currently using this and loving it and why this would work for you as a piece of branded content? And if we don't have that authentic seeding of the product that already exists with a creator, let's say a company has come to us and said, we really want to work with this particular creator. We love them for our brand for a number of reasons. And we talk to that creator and they say, oh, I'm actually not aware of that product. The first thing we do then is send the product to them and have them use it for a period of time before they start to conceive of how they would tell their audience that they're loving that product. And I think this is an important note in a number of ways. One example of why this worked so well is around a moment where we had been in contact with a creator. We had told her that we were sending products to her to create some stories around. And she called us when she received them and said, you know, I've got to withdraw draw from this campaign because when the products arrived at my house, they were wrapped in so much packaging that it is against my own personal values. This is clearly not a company that's focused on eco-friendly or sustainable packaging. So I'm going to have to withdraw from the campaign. And we loved that because we did not want her to be promoting something that didn't align with her personal values because we feel like the audience would have picked up on that. So we let the company know and we thought that would be that. And then they contacted us after a couple of days and said, you know what? actually, we'd love to work with her collaboratively to rebuild our packaging and redesign everything through that lens of sustainability and eco-consciousness. And it reminded us that influencers are influencers for a reason. And this was a really great example of one person having a huge impact on the overall sustainable economy because she was willing to lose a job over her own beliefs, morals, and values. And we're seeing that that is relevant especially with the new generations to come. You know, we're talking today about how to future-proof your business. We know that Gen Z feels that every time they spend money, they are voting with their dollars. They are voting with their beliefs and what they want to see for their own futures. And so if you as a brand have not taken a look at all of those different touch points that make a difference to the lives of your audience, then you've got some room to grow 
especially around the world of sustainability and eco-consciousness. You've been listening to Future Proof from Kantar and Said Business School. For all episodes and more information, visit kantar.com or oxfordfutureofmarketing.com. If you enjoyed this, please leave us a rating and a review and subscribe within your podcast app so you never miss an episode.